Alrighty now. Peter, it sounds like maybe you're on the other mic or something. Oh, maybe. Hold on. Stand by. Thanks for noticing that. I forgot to change that in my setting. That should sound better. Oh, so good. It's like sex in my ear. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your soccer gear, FC Dallas, North Texas SC, U.S. Men's National Team. I mean, listen, they got everything, man. Go over there. They got clubs all through the Premier League, all throughout the world. Get what you want. Get the teams you follow. Get that FC Dallas gear. Soccer90.com. Use code ThirdDegree at checkout. 20% off your order. Some exclusions apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. I am told this one is number 210, 210 of your favorite little podcast about Football Club Dallas. Uh, Hello, I am Peter, and we're all back together again because uh, arriving all the way from the motherland, he did come back, Buzz. He actually returned back to Texas. Uh, The pride of Luton. Well, okay, sorry. The second most prideful part of Luton, other than the football team, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. All right. Um, Yeah, why wouldn't I come back? Uh, I left that shit all already. Well, because you're (laughs) on the precipice of getting promoted to the Premier League, and you might want to stay and be experience that. I would love to be. uh, I'd love to be at the games for uh, for that, but you know, money and uh, availability and everything, unfortunately. Uh, So I'll just have to uh, catch a Premier League game, hopefully, and get your Peacock subscription renewed. Uh, I will ask you to, as best you can, as quickly as you can, in one word, sum up your experience of the Luton Middlesbrough match that you went to home love it that's a sweet answer that actually gives me kind of cute sports tier (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know there's nothing you know like the the atmosphere in mls is is great people try new things and and things are, are very good but you know it's only ever like a dedicated section it's never a whole stadium or uh you know, just having ten thousand people singing Watford get battered everywhere they go, uh, <laughs> even when you're not playing Watford, fan <laughs> shit about you know going having to go to school the next morning. It's just fun. It's you know, I love the fact that you guys pick on Watford even in games where you're not playing Watford. I love that. That's fantastic. That's what rivals do? Yeah. Well, we don't do enough of that around here. Uh, and there he is, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Peter, I was concerned that you weren't going to come back after those last two FC Dallas performances. Ah, uh, you know why I'm back? Why is that? Because I watched neither one of them. <laughs> no. The fir- well, and okay, first one. Well, okay, so uh, my excuse. Because I know it may, it would, it's weird that the host of a uh, club-specific podcast isn't watching the games. But one, I have excuses. One is, is that technically it's not my fault. And two, I don't give a crap about the other one. So uh, the St. Louis game never got posted to Apple TV, to the best of my understanding. Mm. Um, because I wasn't able to watch it live. 
Okay. And U.S. Open Cup, I had a concert last night anyway, and you know I've stated my position that I'm just I'm not that's not my jam. I'm MLS yeah. Cup or bus guy. You're no Open Cup guy. At least at this point. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Let's accomplish the other goal of winning the real trophy, <laughs> the really one that I want, and then we'll go back to worrying about Open Cup. Yeah, it's a stance. Okay, you're fine. Uh, so no, uh, I did come back. I have not watched either game. I know the results, obviously. Um, but so let's start there. Let's let's talk about the fact that poor Dan got all the way back from England. Did you go to the? Did you attempt to go to this, Dan? No, no. Jet lag has been kicking A my bitch. ass up yeah. until about two days ago. Well, you sound pretty energetic uh, at this point. Um, so, Buzz, you were there. Uh, it was a great crowd. I got a text from somebody talking about how amazing the atmosphere was, and I looked at the radar and went, "Well, it's not going to last much longer." And sure enough, it did get rained out. And it was zero zero at the time, I think. Yes. Was it a good game? Uh, not notably. Um, it, on on the upside, I had a premonition, and this was the game I chose to go sit in the press box. I haven't done that in about a year, and so that was a good pick uh, for the for the weather that came in. Um, but because, uh, as we talked about in advance, because St. Louis City plays the Red Bull system, which is a heavy, heavy pressing system, unlike Dallas, who does not press, even though everyone says they do. They don't press in high volume anyway. Uh, St. Louis does press in high volume, and that meant the game was basically junk. The, the the passing percentages were, you know, 50, 60% or something like that, and and Dallas basically abandoned the middle because they couldn't build through the middle, so they were trying to build it around the side or just kick it over the top more often than not, um, and that makes for some ugly soccer. So it wasn't looking particularly pretty it was really really poor st louis doesn't try and play out of the back at all so basically it looked like a 1980s championship game you know where just the ball just got booted back and forth a lot um on the upside uh i would say that it might have actually been legit's best game of the year for the first 50 minutes that was basically like the one <laughs> positive thing i came away with from that game other than also they didn't let st louis score so those two things all considered the deep game was at least somewhat positive, even if it wasn't particularly pretty. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the rain came and washed it out, and, and now we have a rescheduled June 7th for the rest of it. And, and if people are confused, yes, you just pick it up at minute 50 with the same players on the field, the same subs available. You start from minute 50 and you go. You just finish the game. Yeah, if you really want to be an MLS nerd, go read the page that defines all the terms and the rules tied around restarts of games at later dates and what happens if you have players that were in the game that are now injured or unavailable. It's uh, <laughs> it's like, why didn't you just... I think everybody should know the, the general FIFA rule is is once you start a game and you get into the second half, and if a game has to be abandoned, that can be the end of the game. That's the FIFA rule. Yeah. It's MLS's rule to go ahead and continue to play it. Well, most people try and play it out. And historically speaking, MLS will try and play it the next day. But because uh, St. Louis had a cup game on Tuesday and Dallas on Wednesday, they chose to just... Delay push to it. push it to June when there's more open space for both teams, which is crazy. Now they've got to get on a plane and come down here for literally a 40 minute. Yeah. Well, you know, St. Louis not that far, so I guess not. So I guess my next question is, did Dallas uh, is does Dallas have a reason to uh, feel uh, like did they get unlucky that the game got rained out at that point or did they get lucky that the game got rained out at 50 minutes? 
I suppose that depends on what form they look like uh, come June. You know, no, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, if, if at that point when the game stopped, was it like this is getting ready to get this? They're not oh. going to win this game, or they're or they're wait. Oh no, they're actually in a good position to win this thing. No, it was pretty equally uh, pinballish for both teams. I mean, either team was looking really threatening on the goal, you know. But that's the point I was going to try and make was that Dallas has been unthreatening on the goal ever since Alan Flasco got hurt. Uh, and so if there is a silver lining for FC Dallas, it's that the game stopped. And now, presumably, since Allen is back, you know, by the time your June whatever game rolls around, Allen will be still be available, hopefully, you know, and perhaps um, uh, uh, Paul Areola will have recovered from his injury that he picked up in this game. And perhaps Legette will have found his form again. So, you know, if, if your team is playing better a month from now, then yes, it is a good thing in your favor. But it, it's not a case where... Uh, Dallas was left off the hook. I don't think either team would have looked at that game and thought, oh, that's a really great game because Dallas is just as effective at stifling the other team and denying goal opportunities as St. Louis is. So they do it different ways, but uh, both of them were basically really good at not allowing a lot of opportunities, which is what you get in that kind of game. Yeah. And and uh, did, did I get an accurate report that the atmosphere prior to the rainout was as amazing as reported to me? Yes, it was, in fact, um, I, I believe they announced the sellout, but I don't remember for sure. But what I, I remember sitting there and looking, and I, th I thought to myself, well, there are more people actually sitting in this stadium uh, than they have been for the previous sellouts all this year. So it was more, in my mind, it was more like direct butts actually in the seats than, than it had been in previous games, uh, hmm. which was, even though the weather was coming and people knew the weather was coming, it was a really nice, I thought, turnout. Well, that's good. Well... Uh, I guess we'll see. So the game, the makeup, the last 40 minutes will get played on, you said, June the 7th. 7th, yeah. And do we know how, are they just letting people in as want as they want to? Or do you have to have a ticket? Or do we have any idea about how that's being handled? Well, if you have a ticket from the game before, then your ticket is still basically good. Um, you know, if you had a paper ticket, I don't know how you do that, but they're all electronic these days. So the, right. you, know, you can just, it just shows up theoretically. And they also gave everybody that had a ticket for that game, at least I think everybody, a discount to another ticket for another game sort of as a make good, you know, you still get your ticket for that game if you want it. And then they also give you 50% off a Gantt ticket for another game, you know, down the line. I think it's the Nashville game in June also. Um, so, you know, I, they're trying to make good everybody that's come to the game. I imagine on like, a, I think it's a Wednesday, I, the crowd won't be very great for the last 40 minutes of a game. But, you know, uh, if they get 10,000 people to show up for that little bit, that would be considered in my mind a victory. And I don't think it'll even be that many. Yeah, it'll also be interesting what the state of the season is in at that point. Yeah, it'll be really weird. Uh, I haven't looked at the schedule. How does that fit? Is that like really squeeze in too many games in a short period of time? It's between um, the game against Nashville on the third and the game against Portland on the eleventh at Portland on the eleventh. So um, it's on a Wednesday between the, uh, you know a Saturday Sunday combo. So mm. um, it's just another. It just shifts the midweek to a later time. But at that point, you're getting closer to League's Cup and that kind of stuff too. So, um, you know, the schedule opens up a little bit in July. It's not quite as dense. I think it'll be okay. You know, yeah. especially it's not a full game. You know, it's it's basically not even a half of a game. You know, it's going to be just like a little run out. It's right. not really going to affect anything in terms of uh, workload to be worried about. You know, at that time. Okay. All right. Well, uh, to be determined, as they say. And I was watching your post-game reaction to it, and you were making the comment that, well, this actually kind of works out in the team's favor because now 
Um, Nico doesn't have to rest people for the Open Cup game, which was last night against Nashville in Nashville. And uh, that did not go well, did it, Buzz? Well, I was surprised that even post-game at, at post-St. Louis, Coach even mentioned that they wouldn't have to rest everybody. But uh, the problem was that, um, for me, the whole that game was lost in the lineup card because they were missing Nikosi for injury, which we all knew he was unlikely he was making it. They were hoping. Wait, that it wait, wouldn't. wait. What game was lost in the lineup card? The Open, the Cup, Open Cup game. game. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I didn't make that clear. So Nikosi, they were hoping to get back, and then he didn't make it. Um, Martinez was suspended from a red card against Kansas City in the Open Cup last year. Paul Ariola was hurt. And Velasco was coming back from injury, so they chose not to start him. So they ended up with the most janky-ass lineup I've ever seen. We've <laughs> seen a 3-4-3 before, and it never has really worked good. This team doesn't know how to play it correctly. And on top of that, they had to put guys like Siki and Sebeling at like the underneath 10 kind of role, along with – it just was a mess. They ended up with Giovanni and um, Farfan, both of whom have played some – uh, open, so, sorry, some center back before, but to put both of them at center back in a back three and then have Junka and and Tumasi on the other side, you got five real heavy defenders across the back rather than sort of three in mids like you're kind of really supposed to do in that shape. And two of the three center backs are not actually center backs. And with and having... And Sebling and Legette is sort of your underneath tens that you can kind of fit Legette in there, but you definitely don't fit and Sebling under there. And so basically, Ferreira was on an island by himself, and he was up there all alone. So the longer the game went on, the more and more he came back. And basically, Dallas had no chance at all, in my mind, to actually score in that game. And the worst thing was is that he he then because he wasn't willing to play Nolan and start Nolan, he wasn't willing to start Corsa, he wasn't willing to start Camungo. Because of all those three things, he ended up with this mess of a lineup. Uh, and there was no real sp- spots for Obreon because Obreon can't wing back and he can't play that underneath 10 role. So the, the formation was a mess. And by the end of the game, Edwin Surreal was playing center back for a good almost 20 minutes of the game. Camungo was playing wing back on one side and he had no idea what he was doing. And that's where the second goal came from because he was 50 yards up the field when Jimmy Maurer tried to play him a ball that he can't kick it that far anymore. So it only went like 30 yards and they immediately turned it over in that zone. So um, for me, that game was lost in the lineup and it, it doesn't, a lot of people were talking about effort and intensity and things like that. And I'm like, man, sometimes when you look at the lineup card and you go, what the hell is this? You know, you walk out there with a mindset that's not that great. And it, I think it was obvious on the field that the mindset wasn't that great and they got stomped basically. So it was not a good game, and in my mind, that was lost when you did the lineup. That game was lost. All right, so I'm going to ask the obvious question, which is because when I saw the lineup um, uh, on Twitter, I was just as confused, and my immediate reaction is, oh, he's uh, uh, Nico's decided to use this as an experiment, an opportunity to experiment, and he's not serious about this game, and mm. which – which, if that's true, that's pretty significant considering um, uh, the fact that uh, the you know the, the trophy's named after the patriarch of the family that owns the club, and they've historically taken this tournament really seriously. Well, I don't know that it was. By the way, the lineup they drew and they put on the, the SC Dallas official Twitter was so out of whack that uh, Garrett Melser had to um, tweet out what it actually was verbally. And then I drew it up. It was a three, four, three, even the talent on the TV was very confused about 
what Dallas was doing and had no idea what they were playing. But the overall point was that because you played, you were afraid to play guys on your team. And believe me, this coach always says everybody on our roster can help us, but yet his actions show that that's not the true. Because you weren't willing to play kids and inexperienced players, you ended up with guys playing out of position. And so your whole lineup was disjointed and Nashville rotated, but they rotated guys in appropriate positions and they were able to go to their bench and double down and play a, a shape that they like more, mm-hmm. not a shape, excuse me, a tactic they like more. And they went even more low block and countered attack, which again, we know is a Dallas bugaboo. They can't handle that. And that, that's when they tore Dallas apart in the second half. So Dan, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, for me, like from the get go, it was just a, a mess all over the field. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not surprised anyone was, uh, was uh, caught off guard by it because the players couldn't even hold the shape they were supposed to be in. Uh, Emma Tumasi played as a, more as a fullback than a wingback, which pushed Giovanni Jesus over, and you know they ended up playing really as as a back four when it was supposed to be a a back three with with two wingbacks. Uh, Junker played more as a as a traditional right uh, a traditional left mid than uh, kind of like a an attacking fullback. It was just a mess. It was like you'd taken eleven guys that never played together. Okay. Yes. So again, I'm going to go back. Is is this a function of Nico thinking he's taking this seriously, or is this him like, hey, I'm just going to do with the what I've got the best I can? I, I don't think he's ever going to admit that they would wouldn't take it seriously. I honestly think that um, my analysis of this coach over a year and a half now is that he honestly thinks these older, more experienced players are the right choices all the time, and he is just. I'm not going to call it terrified, but he has no faith at all that a young kid, a young inexperienced player is the right choice. You know, this was a, this was a lineup designed to be conservative and be, and try and hold the game to next to nothing. Like it is like they do on the road all the time. So if you follow that philosophy, this looks like to me, a guy trying his best to grind something out when he knows he's screwed, you know, I, on the other hand, think when you're screwed, why not take some of the, a couple of those kids? You only needed two of them to make it work the way you want to play. You know, that would have been enough, you know, just give Nolan a chance or even don't even use the guys you had without changing formation. You know, it may be that halfway into the game, they decided that they're right. This formation sucks. And that's why Tuomasi was playing deep. Maybe they went to more of a four, four, two or a four, two, three, one kind of vibe uh, without, it being clearly obvious because even when they did, it was still a mess all over the place. Uh, all right. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. Isn't it a problem that the head coach of FC Dallas is risk averse to playing the kids? I mean, it's, this yeah. is FC Dallas. <laughs> like this is the team that plays the kids. I mean, I think so. I mean, it's one of the reasons why coming to this season, I was so adamant that they loan out Parker and Smith. Cause I knew neither one of those guys, or I was not new. I was very confident based on previous behavior that neither one of those guys was ever going to play, you know, Norris. I'm not worried about him never playing this season because he's a bit younger and he, and it's perfectly reasonable for him to play for North Texas SC, but course is a bit older. Now, if you don't have any confidence that you can't start Corsa in a game, then why is he even here? You know, I know he's not 27, but still, you know, you're still talking about, and Camungo you've signed and you've actually played him some. So if you, you don't have any faith at all that that guy can start, I just, I'm just really confused by his complete lack of any belief 
that certain guys can get out there and contribute at all. Meanwhile, 19 and 18 year old, what last year, Alan Velasco is a lock starter every time. So it's like, it's not necessarily just young, you know, there's something about them that he has absolutely no faith in. And I don't know what it is. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, that's an unfortunate result, I suppose. Although for those of us who are part of the hashtag MLS cup or bust, uh, campaign, um, it actually works in our favor. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, in terms of workload, it actually just makes your month. Well, yeah, it really doesn't because yeah. you've got three guys that are a little bit delicate that, that just did 90 minutes in Paxton, uh, Jesus, and Marco Farfan. Well, at least they don't have to play a follow-up game in two weeks is what I'm saying. They don't have another game in May. Oh, no, but they've still got to play on Saturday. <laughs> That's true. Well, they were gonna have to. They were gonna have to play on Saturday, win or lose. I'm just pointing out now they don't have to worry about the next Open yeah. Cup game. Is yeah. my point. Yeah, that's that. That's my point. Uh, were there any bright spots at all uh, from the game in Nashville? Either one of you. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I thought Junker looked decent. Um, kind of the the only bright spot for me, um, really. You hmm. know, I I I, I thought that um, while. It was pretty clear that Kamingo has no idea how to play wing back. Unsurprisingly, it's not like it's a surprise that he doesn't have any idea. But that aside, you know, his directness and positivity, I think, still show. Like I, I, I didn't walk out of that game thinking, "Well, that was terrible." I thought, I thought I walked out thinking, "You know what? You might as well just have started that guy." And I'm, I'm okay. Why don't we start that guy at some point? You know, when now that Paul's out, you know, because it's not like you're getting a great deal out of Obron. So it's like. You know, if that's a positive to walk away not thinking that guy sucked, <laughs> like, and I wouldn't mind seeing a little more of that guy. Then I guess that, that's a positive. I guess. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, Edwin Surreal played center back. That was fascinating. I don't know if that's for 15 minutes. So I don't know whether that's a positive or not, but it's certainly interesting. Well, I will say, uh, as this gives me a great opportunity to remind people that one of the great things about, or one of the great benefits of being part of Buzz's Patreon is you get to be a part of uh, good, smart. Um, conversations and discussions, friendly discussions about the team on Buzz's uh, Discord. And one of the ones that I saw that I thought was a really interesting conversation was a back and forth between multiple people about Cerillo and his performance in this particular game. And a lot of people's concern that maybe, uh, you know, he's in his head or he's just not going to turn out to be the player we wanted it to be. And I'm wondering what your uh, point of view on that is, Buzz. Well, I, I think that um, there's an expectation that people want Edwin to be really, really good, to be a homegrown like Jesus and Paxton are. And he's just not quite that same level. You know, I think he's going to be a good pro for a long time. My, Has he peaked? Oh, uh, no, 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 no. He okay. won't peak until he's 26, 27, like everybody else. Um, you know, the the – the debate between those two players is I don't think Facundo is any better. I, and I think there's a lot of ways he's worse in the sense that he's very static. He stays in the middle. He does a lot of emergency defending in that portion of the field. And he is pretty good at progressive passing and he does show well to relieve pressure. Those two things are true. But like, if you look at the St. Louis game, they were heavy triggering on him. Every time the ball went into his feet, they pressed hard into his feet. And I was like, that's going to be the thing that's going to cost them the game is a turnover right there in front of the box. Um, so the, the, the problem isn't necessarily that I think Edwin is better than Facundo because I don't think I can claim that he's better right now. There are things that he does do better, like against, um, 
uh, in the Open Cup against Nashville, there were multiple times where he received the ball in really tight coverage spaces, and he was able to shield guys off and make ball control moves and dribble away from pressure that I just know for a fact Facundo can't do. They're different players, but Abelina has his deficiencies. Like the second goal, uh, Kamunga was, again, like I mentioned, was caught like 50 yards up, and and because um, uh, Jimmy Maurer can't kick the ball that far anymore, the ball ended up short, and they ended up with a, no left back. And so he ran, Ebon ran all the way over to that corner and then put himself in shape to deny the, the run to the end line on the cross, and the dude cut back. That happens when he cut, and he got beat, cut into the inside. Well, everybody from time to time gets beat on a cut back to the inside. What you have to have happen is you have to have your other center back or your other midfielder close down, and that didn't happen. And that happens all the time to lots of people. It happened on, that's how Fafa scored on the other side. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's a mistake, but it's a mistake people make. And I always say that no one is mistake-free at this level. Edwin's never going to be a 90-minute mistake-free player. The, the debate for me comes down to the idea that one of them gets paid $900,000 and the other one gets paid $150,000. And one of them is 22 and one of them is 30. So if you're going to invest time and the players are basically equal, you might as well, in my mind, invest time in the one who actually will get better for the next five or six years, and that's Edwin. So that's why, to me, it's play Edwin all the time. But I totally understand people's frustration with him. He's not great. You know, he's not a game-breaking, game-changing, best 11-6. If you had one, this team would be significantly better. So I understand people's complaints, you know, and I, but that's why I would play him every single game uh, versus Facundo. But, you know, and I don't know whether Dan agrees with me or not, but – you know, it, it's not always about like who's right better at this second. And it comes back to a bigger point that I made is that I've made before that I think, Nico, uh, sorry, Nico Estevez coaches this team to not lose games. He's coaching like he's a mid-table team in Spain to grind out points to not get relegated, to keep himself in touch with the really, really great teams. That's how he's coaching. Whereas I want him to coach as if two years from now, I might make a run of the cup. And I need to develop guys that are in their low twenties, not play guys that are thirty years old. So there's a two difference in ideology there that's causing a shortcut, not so shortcut, short circuit in my mind between the decisions he's making and what I would want him to make. But again, you know, who the hell am I? We're just dudes on a podcast, but still that's where I get frustrated. We are dudes on a podcast. Uh Dan <laughs> Uh, because the formation is wonky and, and the tactics are unusual, how much do you feel like you learned about, uh, you know, kind of a, a, kind of a surprisingly rare appearance from Ensebling who we haven't seen a lot this year, uh, Camungo, uh, you know, we got to see Corka for the first time. Do, do you have any sense that any of those guys showed you something or you felt that made you feel good or bad about them? I'd rather just write that entire performance off. It was a monumental waste of time. Wow, that's um, too bad. I mean, I, I thought, you know, of course, uh, um, the the little bit of time he had, you know, he looked assured on the ball, um, looked, looked comfortable um, in the challenge. Which Does was he nice. look tall by chance? I mean, I would hope so. He's like six four, isn't he? Okay, good. I just want to make sure he looks at at least imposing a little bit. At least looks I mean, imposing. He looks, he looks skinny. He's gangly. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, Buzz, Buzz uh, asked if I agreed about Edwin. Yeah. Um, it's kind of uh, not two not wonderful options there. Um, yeah, but you, you invest time with the guy that's going to have the longevity. Um, I think Edwin's role long term could be like a, you know, if you get a good six, is to be that uh, reliable backup guy that could play a. Not only as a, a pure six, but um, you know, an eight and a pinch, 
even center back apparently um but yeah it's uh it's kind of like the emma and uh nanu uh debate of last year uh not uh not you know you're not arguing about messi versus christian coleman by any stretch of the imagination it's uh you know to uh to to uh Firmly mid-table MLS options um, that you know aren't the, the the key point of your your team, and unfortunately, in this case, is in one of the more important positions in the team. Here's mm. how badly coach didn't want to play Corsa at center back. He played him at right back. Well, I mean, the the thing is, Holy like, sh- he changed the entire lineup, right? Yeah. He he went for a back three because in his mind, he's got Ibiaga's fit. Tafare's injured. Martinez is sen- serving his suspension from the red card at Kansas City last year. He only has one fit centre back. Well, he has two on the bench that he just didn't want to use. Yeah, he could yeah. pick either one of them, play the four three three, like you said, just rotate it the same way that Nashville did. Nashville made ten changes. They rotated everything bar one centre back. Um, you know, they started Leal, who hadn't played since February. Um, could only go 45 minutes. They made three changes at the half. Like it was comfort. Like they, you know, they didn't open it up into the second half, but their press in the first half destroyed FC Dallas. Dallas did nothing. Granted, uh, Nashville didn't do a whole lot either. But you know, they had the, the, you know, they were kind of in the ascendancy in in possession at least and, and knew the flow of the game. Uh, Dallas, it, like you said, from the lineup card, it just kind of ruined the whole thing. All right, I'm going to ask the next obvious question, which is, are we at a point where we're starting to wonder and ask questions about Nico as a manager for this team? I'm at a point where I have to alter my um, thinking and trying trying to anticipate what he's doing in the sense of I really have come to believe that he's not coaching for the long haul. You know, I, I have conversations with him where he's talked about uh, coaching for the season, you know, they play in the season, they coach in the season, they're trying to win games in the season, not lose games in the season. And then when they, and that everybody they have on their roster is considered potential to help them, or we believe everyone on our roster can help us at the end of the season. We'll make decisions about whether that's true or not, whether those guys can help us and how I need to make changes or not. Well, I think as a coach, in my opinion, you need to be thinking two or three game seasons down the line. I think if you coach, just season to season to season, you're never going to, or I'm not never, excuse me. I don't think you'll see the improvement in the guys that are coming along that you should because you're not investing in them. And this is the key for me, right? This is like, it, it, I need to change my, if I'm going to pre- accurately predict what he's doing and try and understand what he's doing, I have to change the way I think about what he's doing to a all about grinding out points now, playing for the now. I think that's a mistake. I think it's the wrong way to do it. I think the guy's a great coach. I'm just not sure the that Dan Hunt, who basically runs the team, is understands enough. I know Zanata does, but I'm not sure Dan Hunt understands enough to tell him, look, we need to be playing for winning a cup in two years, not for winning this game this week, you know? And it comes down to the idea that this organizational bloodline, which is this developing of these players, because they're not going to go spend $15 million on a guy. They're only going to try and develop them from within and spend $3 million on a guy. So... 
It may be a bad fit. I don't know. Like, that's a good coach. I'm just not sure it's the right one right now. I'm a little worried. All right. You I know you're oh. – No, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, you know, uh, with Lucci, we used to talk about trying to kick some of the academy tendencies. Yeah. It's a real, like, you know, Spain B-team tendency to be like, I have this 17-year-old alternative. I have this 30-year-old because typically that 30-year-old's come down from the first team and is by far and away the best player you have. I, I just wonder if there's kind of like that got me where I am, so that that's the good thing to default yeah, to a, is kind of like a thought in the back of his head. And probably the national team in a lot of ways is the same way. Like if I'm trying to win games all the time, you know, that 17-year-old kid is rarely Landon Donovan. Usually he's a guy that's a mess and he's not ready. Musa's another one that's rare. That's rare, man. Like usually you get guys like Dest who have a lot of potential but don't know how to play any defense at all and make a lot of mistakes. Hmm. So, you know, sometimes you default to your Sebastian Legettes, you know, your – your um, uh, who's the Seattle guy? Um, Yedlin? No, no, no. Well, yeah, good example. Oh. I was thinking of the two brothers. Uh, Chris, uh, Morris? Roldan. Roldan, thank you. Golly, my brain wasn't working. Yeah, Roldan. You know, those kind of guys are getting spots, you know, when, when, when you're going into the cup, right? All of a sudden, younger, interesting guys are out, and, and these old guys are in. So That's a that's really great thing. point, Sam. Coaching for the season. Seattle is a perfect example of a team you would coach for the season, not for the, you know, not for like two, three years down the line. Okay, so, and I don't mean to be, well, maybe I do mean to be the pot stirrer, but if Dallas proceeds through the rest of the season and they kind of flame out during League's Cup and they really flirt with the danger of not qualifying for playoffs and just kind of fart out of the playoffs as well, you think Nico's and, and and when you throw in there that he also has now demonstrated that he's not a big fan of playing the kids, do you think there's any chance his job is in danger? Man, I don't know. They the owners were just like a week ago talking about how rosy and everything is and how awesome it is. Um, well, they're you know, in fourth place. Uh, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> the thing is like, you remember last year? Uh, not last year. Excuse me. Two years ago when Lucci was fired, it was all about the defense has to be better. If our defense is better. We'd be in the playoffs. We got. We have to make the playoffs here. Yes, we understand that we don't have fifty million dollar players, but but making the playoffs is the minimum quality of good. Well, they got a guy now that's going to get him in the playoffs every time. This dude will grind out playoffs every single year. Mm-hmm. So it may be that they absolutely love that. That they think this is fantastic. That this is what they want. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. But I'm, I'm not sure that they have the same mentality that I do to be honest about about their chances of maybe they've just resigned themselves that we're all we're going to be is a playoff team and be right under the very best teams all the time and that's going to be good enough and you know and and maybe it's hard to argue that honestly it's better than missing the playoffs for a decade like the Dynamo did you know so I burn I don't have a good answer what I've decided this is the big picture thing I wanted to talk about is I've been looking at the, the players that are playing and I look at the the contracts that the team has and I look at how much how expensive they are and I and the fact that they came into this season with basically no moves, right? They eventually went and got Jimenez, but that that was a couple bit into the season. That wasn't the start of the season. So they really effectively traded a backup for a backup to get Jimenez in. They brought in a backup in Ibiaga, right? They did all kind of like some roster shoring up kind of stuff. Signed a couple of kids that maybe in four or five years that are be good, but that's those guys aren't even part of Nico's team, really, right? We're, we're, we're watching a team play that, in my mind, is sort of going through the motions. 
because you have three or four, maybe five contracts that you're sort of waiting to expire so you can try and get somebody better. And I think as players, if you're coming into this season, you're watching the team do nothing and you're watching the coach talk about how we're going to be better because our players are going to progress. If you're those guys that they're looking at to progress and you're looking at the fact they didn't really do anything to make your team be better and you're watching all those teams do anything, maybe you're just going through the motions. And so maybe when we look at Areola and we look at Legette and we look at Facundo or Edwin or we look at Paxson or we look at any of these guys and we wonder why they're just playing okay, maybe that's why. Maybe the whole team is just treading water waiting for this year to be over. It, it is so strange to be having this tone and this attitude and this vibe when they're in fourth place, uh, it, you know, a third of the yeah. way through the season. But I, I, I would tell anybody that's like listening to this and going, dude, these guys are being such bummers. I, you have to trust that we have, that there's a level of experience between the three of us and watching this thing that we have, I, like, I feel like maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. I feel like I can get through a third of an MLS season with my club in particular and have a pretty clear idea of how this thing's going to play itself out. And I, and to me, it just feels like it's just going to be another one of those kind of not a terrible season, not a great season. You know, it'll just be one of those things, and it'll be one of those seasons we don't really talk about or think about, um, you know, down the road, which is really disappointing based on how awesome and fun and exciting last season was. Well, I think you can look at the offense and see that it's not as good as last year. You can look at the defense and you see it's not as good as last year. I just talked to Coach like a week and a half ago. He talked about how the team is not back to where they were at the end of last season. And to underline this idea about this season sort of waiting, contracts are ending at the end of this year. Martinez on like 800K, O'Brien on like four-something. Junko, who's a one-shot signing. Jimmy Maurer, who's in his late 30s. Edwin and Facundo, we've talked about that position, right? Seeking and settling, his contract's up. Corsa, one-year shot in the dark. There's just a whole big chunk of this roster that are some of them relatively highly paid, like Facundo, O'Brien, and Martinez, for example, all whose deals are ending at the end of this year. So you have a really good opportunity to sort of reset, and this is like the last ride of those guys. Like if you look around your locker room and you look at those guys, do you go, oh man, we got a cup run in us here? I don't, I don't think you do. So you end up with the other guys that are here for many years to come, your Paxons, your your hey, J, Ferreira, your Velasco, your Arroyola, your Lejet, your Farfan, even Ibiaga and Tafare, like those guys are all two, three year contracts. They're sitting there just sort of waiting, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think that's, to me, that's what this club looks like a team that's waiting for the season to progress so they can move on. You know, and they're just kind of grinding. You know, doesn't it feel yeah. that way? You know, it does. We've talked about this coach. He's, he, this coach is capable of grinding you into the playoffs. He's getting wins and points, wins at home and points on the road when they're not playing that great because he knows how to kill the game. He knows how to grind out points. He knows how to get you in the playoffs. And that's why they're fifth right now. And, yeah. Um, what worries me, though, is that with all the positive turnaround and attendance and the atmosphere in the stadium that has improved so much, around, a lot of that, I think, is a byproduct also of the excitement on the field and how exciting this team could be for very long stretches of many, many or most of the home games last year. And I just feel like 
he's constricted that so much that I just wonder how exciting, like if they just continue to grind and hit and miss and they don't play the way they played last season, because I feel like it is different. Um, uh, I just wonder if, if the shine will come off of this quickly and people will start losing interest. That's what I worry about. Uh, you know, I, I think of the, I think the, the boost in attendance is, is the result of increased advertising sales and effort and energy from the club in a lot of phases and not, necessarily from actual play on the field. You know, they're doing a good job of okay. hyping up some of the young names, I think. That's all part of it. But I, I think that the general soccer audience is not as dialed in as the they just like to, to go to the games. That, that listen to our podcast. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean it's no, like that's it, fair. The main core audience, like I'll sit in the stands and people are talking about, they don't even know who players are, let alone yeah, like what fair enough. shape the team plays or how good they are, you know. All right. Well, uh, very, very strange. And so that leads us to their next game, which is uh, in against Austin uh, at in Austin at Q2. And what this is, this is really crazy. Austin has not won in their last seven league games. They've only won twice this year. But I will remind everybody, while uh, they don't have a great record at home, they have only lost once at home, and that was their opening game uh, against St. Louis in that uh, fun-to-remember match. So, Buzz, what do you think uh, Nico has in store for the Broccoli? Well, the injury report's not out yet, but I don't think Nicosi will be back. So I think you're looking at Martinez and Nibiaga again. I thought um, Giovanni was terrible on the road again which leads me to think maybe we might see Tuomasi because he's better and more reliable defensively, particularly on the road. I think that's a pretty likely choice. I think Farfan will be the choice, of course, on the left, and pause is a given considering that Maurer was not that good. Um, you know, Maybe you're still trying to workload both of those guys on the outside, so you try and bring somebody in at some point. But um, I think the reason, one of the reasons Edwin started the open cup game is because you want coach will want to go back to Facundo, his, his security blanket, um, on the road, um, Paxton and Legette, I'm sure, uh, Velasco will be ready to start now that he came off the bench. One Jesus is a given the other wing is the real question mark for me. It'll be Obreon with, with Ariola out, but it shouldn't be, it should be Camungo, but it ain't going to be, it's going to be Obreon. So you're looking at basically the same sort of standard 11 you always get, except for Ariola's hurt. So, and I think Ima will get the nod because of his road defensive ability. And this coach is defensive first, far, far, far and away. And Gio had his second or third crap game on the road. So I think you might be looking at maybe a home road kind of flip flop, but that position may be a little bit going forward. And he doesn't have a choice at center back. I meant to ask this earlier. How did Velasco look in his limited minutes? Dan, what'd you think? Um, that nice shot from distance, that god awful attempt at a dive in the box. <laughs> it was bad. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, at that point they were playing so. I don't know. At that point, they were just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what stuck. It was mm. kind of, you know, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it's so hard to take too much from that game. Yeah, I mean, you, you watch him play and you think, oh, man, that dude is so much better than the alternatives that we've been rolling out. You know, this the, the period he's been out really has shown that without him, they everyone just keys on Jesus Ferreira and there's nothing else up front because Paul's mm -hmm. in, hurt or in a funk and then neither Lejet or Paxson get into the box enough and Obreon's crap. You know, it's 
Makes it really easy to single to box up Jesus and he can't do anything. So they really desperately need Velasco. He looks bursty. You know, he looks like he always does. Just Hey, you said something there that uh, yeah. triggers a conversation, that's a comment somebody made to me the other day, which was they were talking about how uh, Legette and Paxton don't get in the box enough. And it after that conversation, it, it made me wonder, and you're the person to answer this, Buzz, do you think that's a byproduct of the system a limitation of the players or both? Well, Paxton's always had that problem. That's always been the tiny shortcoming in his game. It's the reason why he's still in Major League Soccer is that he doesn't get into the box and get – he tries to get into the box, but the last little bit, the last little touch is not De Bruyne. You know? So he's missing – he doesn't get enough uh, goals and assists for a linking eight. You know, Definitely not for a free eight. Mm-hmm. Legette is capable of it. Um, I don't know why he's not doing it. He's not, you know, you can look at his career numbers and you can look at his numbers last year and you 100% know he's capable of it. Why it's not happening this year is a question, you know, uh, a combination of whatever funk that he's in, a combination of the whole offense being kind of off, the combination of, um, you know, maybe when once Ari- uh, Velasco went out and once Ariel's a little hurt, you know, career-wise, 100% legit has done it. It's just, you know, maybe it's that magical 30. I'd hate to think it's that. You know, he was injured. Remember, he was injured in camp. He was in, he had two or three injuries that kept him out of all of camp, basically. So, you know, I, I don't – at 30, you begin to wonder. I'm hoping that's not it, man. I really hope that they're not – you know, he got a new deal. They Remember, they lengthened his deal probably for a reduction in salary, I would assume. We haven't seen the numbers yet this year. You know, so you got him for a couple of seasons. So hopefully he's going to return to form because that was a big, big part of what they talked about coming into this year. Remember, it was like we now have Legette for the whole year. You know, what he did for that last month and a half, he's going to do now for the whole six months, and it's going to be great. Well, right now it ain't, so that's part of the problem. All right, so uh, Dallas, again, travels down to Austin to play the Verde and Negro at 7.30, and I don't know if it's one of the uh, um, FC De- – I don't know if it's one of the Apple TV free games or not, so there you go. We'll have to – Do we just call it a draw now since their last three home games have been draws? I'd probably at this point take it, yeah, for sure. Actually, no. I, I mean, Austin's been so bad. They haven't I, won since March 4th. R- in the yeah, that's what I was saying. They haven't oh, won sorry, in their March last 11th. seven last seven games. And Dallas, historically, other than the playoff game last fall, has played them pretty well because Austin comes at them and gives them space. So I'd, I'd like to think Dallas is good enough to go and, and win that game. Don't forget, Austin learned that finally learned that lesson in time for the playoff game that they could stupid Josh Wolf that they could kind of adopt that mid block and frustrate Dallas rather than just trying to be way too open and getting absolutely destroyed. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Buzz. So uh, we will move on to the other news related to the U.S. 20 World Cup, and it appears that Dallas will have some level of representation going on there. Yeah, Antonio Carrera is in the mix. He's not the number one keeper. He'll is that a number- surprise? No, no, no. no. Okay. He's been the number two keeper for about a year and a half now. Okay. It's a surprise if you look back to him maybe three years ago. He's really progressed, exploded the last couple of years. But he's been the number two, you know, on and off for them over the last couple of tournaments. You know, I, I, he probably won't get a game, you know, maybe a group game against Fiji or something. He might get that game if you want to rest your um, – yeah, th- that guy, <laughs> um, and the other the other Chicago guy, the other guy that's in the mix for the uh, to be number two is not going. So that sort of cements Antonio as two. 
So, you know, he might get a group game, maybe. But if he doesn't, no big deal. That For him, that'll be much as about, you know, the experience, the experience of going yeah. and, and, and stretching your life beyond all things FC Dallas. Just being at tournaments like that is a big deal, you know. Um, I, I, so that's good for him. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, if anybody hasn't seen it, go watch the video uh, that the club put out of him talking about finding out that he got called up to the World Cup. And what a great kid, how genuine he seems. And uh, his love of all things FCD is apparent and on the record. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's like two minutes long and it's really heartwarming and sweet. And it's exactly what you want out of your uh, somebody representing your club for the national team. Yeah, his brother, Nico, played for FC Dallas in the academy when he was in the U.S. World U-17 World Cup. Um, so there's a good family connection along those lines. Um uh, Justin Che, who's technically still an FC Dallas player, is in the World Cup team. The, the weird thing about Che is that since he got elevated to the first team at Hoffenheim back in January, he basically hasn't played. He was on the bench for two games, and other than that, he's been not in the squad. And then he got hurt and was missing a bunch. And even with the U23s, like once he got, he wasn't playing for them because he was with the first team. And then he got hurt. And then after he got hurt, He's played three games basically this entire uh, spring up until now. Two starts and one bench appearance. So it's like, you know, and for the U23s, nothing for the first team. So as much as we thought that they really liked him by promoting him to the first team, I start to wonder now at the end of June what's going to happen with his loan. Um, maybe this World Cup would be really good for him. It'd be interesting to see whether they use him as a right back or center back. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other person that made the club, the World Cup team, is Jogo, Jonathan Gomez, who was a the starting left back here at 15 for the North Texas when they won the inaugural USL 1 championship. Um, has since gone on to uh, Louisville and, and somewhere in Spain. I can't remember where it is off the top of my head. He's in the team. And then Pepe and Dante Sealy could have been in the team, but are not for different reasons. Pepe, because he's starting for his team and, and Sealy is not because he's has the wheels are falling off that guy's loan at um, PSV Jong. It's like since the end of May, he's played like three games or something. So, you know, it's not, it's not going well for either one of the loans. So we might see some reinforcements for Rusty house this summer, just because those loans might end the Sealy loan. I can't imagine it's not ending and he's not coming back. Although he might be shattered at this point. Um, and play for North Texas a bunch, probably. And then Che, I really have no idea, honestly, what Hoffenheim thinks of him anymore because he hasn't played since January, as near as I can tell. Is there any chance that guy wants to come back or think has any uh, in his mind that maybe coming back to Dallas would be good for him? Uh, or do you think he's just dead set on trying to make his career in Germany? Man, you know, when he first came out to Dallas, he was really excited to be up and really excited to be there. And then as time went on, I think when he went to, um, the, he was in the last group that went to Bayern Munich and they never went back again. It's like, I think he was one of the ones that was key to them having this, like, we're not sending our best kids over there anymore because they come back with their head spun. I think he was part of that because after that, he really didn't want to be here anymore. And there was the whole Byron was interested and Dallas was like, well, you got to pay. And then Hoffenheim was interested. And so, okay, they lined that deal up. You know, he does speak German. He does have a German passport. So he really, really wants to be over there. You know, he might be, it's without getting a chance to talk to him or some of his people, it's going to be really hard to know where he's at. You know, I mean, Dante Sealy's really not going to have much choice, but Che will be, 
an interesting question. I honestly don't know whether he wants to come back or not. If he's going to come back, he's got to buy in hard because if he doesn't, it's going to be a disaster. Okay. Well, congratulations to those either uh, called up or maybe going. Who knows? Uh, that is a lot of fun. And when is the U-20 World Cup? It's like in two weeks. And maybe where is it? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I clearly. It's, it's on Isn't TV. It the one that got moved to Argentina. Yeah, that's right. It is Argentina. Yes, thank yeah, you. That's why Hi, I'm the that. host of a soccer radio show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know where where it is. The answer is on TV. <laughs> every game's at two o'clock, and I think yeah. they're on Fox. So you'll be able to see every U.S. game. You yeah. know, don't you won't be able to see Antonio probably maybe one game, but then you'll see Che and Jogo for sure. That'll be fun. You'll see those guys. All right, uh, what you got cooking for North Texas Soccer Club, my my buds? Well, I did a I did a thing this week um, where I sort of tried to evaluate all the signings for um, the the foreign signings that the club has made over the years. Um, I would I would have had liked to have Dan's help on it actually, but he was out of country, so he left me high and dry on that one. Um, and uh, it's not good, <laughs> honestly. It's not a particularly good track record. And I the thoughts on it were triggered by the fact that I was watching the game the other day, and most of the signings they've made this year, the foreign signings, are just terrible. You know, there's one guy that's okay, Henry, the center back, who's, by the way, is a great example of how a guy's body between 16 and 20 can let you down because at 16, he was captaining Brazil to the World Cup championship. And now he's been jettisoned to North Texas Soccer Club in Dallas. You know, he's serviceable, but just not anywhere near quick enough for the MLS level. But then outside of that guy, it's like, what? They're just a disaster of foreign signings, in my opinion. But um, the upside is that the Herbert Indelay, Herbie, as I like to call him, I don't know if anybody else calls him that, but I do, is really starting to show really well at wing. Like the whole right back experiment seems to be over. He's turning into a Camungo, just tearing teams apart now at a wing. And the the kid at left back, Rose, had a three assists in the last game. And, and Hope, uh, Hope Oveyu, Hope Kudzu is having a great season like we expected him to. He's by far their best player. You know, and when Nolan and Corsa go down, it looks a lot better than when they don't. So the, that team defensively is a disaster when they don't have Carrera or Ison in goal, uh, or they don't and they don't have Corsa and, and um, Nolan. It's a mess. But um, but at least offensively, one or two guys are making this look pretty look pretty decent. I know it's not about winning games down there; it's about developing players. But some of these foreign players are so bad. It's like, dude, just just send them back home and play, you know, Academy kids or whatever. You're not winning anyway. You might as well play some kids and develop them. But yeah. again, this team's not necessarily all about that. All right. Well, uh, anything else we need to get into here for this episode of the pod? Uh, there's a weird, uh, Academy tournament coming up called the MLS next flex tournament. <laughs> Uh, it's important because it, I feel like they spent more time conjuring yeah. up names for this thing <laughs> than actually bad. thinking about the actual product itself. And they're all too similar and they're all horrible. And it's like, I, you, you say the wrong names all the time and it's like, it's just a disaster. But, um, this tournament principle is kind of interesting because the idea is that everybody enters it. I think everybody enters it and you can basically win your way into the playoffs. So it rewards a team that is, worked really hard over the year and become good right at the end. So basically you can like win this little tournament and get into the playoffs, even if you're like in 12th place. Does that make sense? So like it's, it's made them a high pressure, high stakes, high reward tournament that anybody can get a shot at glory from, which is kind of an interesting way to do things. So what happens if you're a team already in the playoffs and you win it? 
If you win the flex, yeah. If, well, no, you do. And if you, if you're already in the playoffs, say you're the first place team and you win the flex, then you're in on the flex, and the top three quote unquote slide down a spot, and now the fourth place team is in the playoffs on the bottom. If you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. so either like a team like out of the playoffs can win their way in, or if a team that's in wins, they slide down and bring in one more team. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of, it's a pressure kind of it creates a pressure environment. It creates a higher level of play than it would if you were not in it, you know, because of this winning mentality. And so that's kind of an interesting angle. They like they created just for that. I that's just remember cool. last year covering. MLS Next Cup for MLS and you know doing like the research for all the teams that I was, and everything else they have made it as convoluted as possible oh. that, so that it's almost impossible to follow week to week with the different tournaments and you know whether they're playing at a tournament in, in real games or just scrimmages and whether they're doing the select games now and it's just even just following a single player through it, it's absurd. Yeah, the the problem is is that they have, um, depending on the age bracket, there are more MLS teams than other brackets. So some age brackets, you're only in a league, a conference with other MLS teams. And then maybe at the U16 or U19 level, you're in a conference with only one other MLS team and like five or seven or eight other teams that are not MLS teams. So every age group, you have a different kind of schedule different kinds of standings. And then on top of that, you have these weird things like these flex tournaments and you have like he, like Dan says, a GA cup where they don't want people to travel down there and just play three games and go home. So they give you these, if you don't advance to the playoffs of that cup, then they give you these other sort of friendly scrimmages. And yet if you're, if you're in your regular season and you're playing in a league that only has like six MLS teams in it, well, you need a lot more games than that. So you play all these other games that don't count. They're, they're kind of like scrimmages that don't count in your standing. So like you'll get to the end of the season and the U17 team will have, because they play all MLS teams, they might have 15 games that count. And the U19 teams will get to the end of the season and they have eight games that count. Mm. And every conference has a different number of teams and every conference has a different number of MLS versus non-MLS. They've just made it incredibly complicated and, as Dan would say, stupid in terms of like making it impossible to keep up with what's going on. So it, it, I find it difficult even just keep up with the one FC Dallas situation. I couldn't even tell you what place all the various FC Dallas teams are in uh, because their conferences are so convoluted. I know that the U19s are undefeated. <laughs> I know that. I know that you 13s are undefeated. I know that. Other than that, I don't really couldn't tell you who's. Yeah, I'm just going to state for the record that if Buzz Carrick can't figure out how this thing is going, then the whole thing is effed at its very it's, core. It's because awful. If, <laughs> that's ridiculous. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dan. It's a wonderful to have you back. I hope you had a really nice trip home, and uh, I'm rooting for your Hatters to uh, win promotion. Thank you very much. Apparently. Uh, that a lot of the English media have already decided that the uh, Middlesbrough Sunderland final will be a, a big day for the Northeast. So hopefully we uh, prove them wrong. Them I hope both those teams get eliminated. Same. <laughs> Same. Well, Dan, keep um, us, when are those games? Keep us I, in tune. Uh, the first leg of the playoff uh, for us is Saturday. It's 5.30 local. So that's what? 10.30? 10.30 here, yeah. yeah. So this weekend... Um, yeah, uh, yep. that'll be the first leg. Second leg's, I think, Wednesday. They'll be on ESPN Plus. And then um, 
I can never remember when the final is. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Can I throw a quick fun fact out? Yeah. I would love was, a fun fact. I hadn't actually read Buzz's foreign thing because I was in foreign land at the time. Um, Kazu is now teammates with King Kazu, the the, world's the Japanese old guy? Professional footballer, yeah. No way. Seriously, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're both uh, Oliver Enze in, uh, in Portugal. So I wonder who gets to fight over the Kazu jersey. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, hold on. Do the math. Am I correct in thinking that it's possible that King Kazu could be, is old enough to be Kazu's grandfather? Uh, he's 56. Kazu is 23. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, that could be like, well, yeah, somebody could have had a you know a high school prom accident in that mix somewhere, and and the age could be yeah. close enough. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, hilarious. <laughs> that is a fun fact. Thank you for that fun fact. Oh, here's another fun fact, uh, brought to you by the original Dustin El Jefe. Dallas has now not beaten an MLS team in the U.S. Open Cup since the year 2017. Yeah, since Oscar. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that is that is telling in terms of part of that is the advent of the regional stuff. So Dallas keeps drawing Sporting Kansas City, who, by the way, takes the cup very seriously. Unlike Dallas, who says they do, Sporting Kansas City actually does. So Dallas loses to them a lot. Um, and then the other teams that you get are Nashville or Houston or Austin. You know, so it's yeah. like, you know, to not, to not be a single one of those teams in the, since 2017 is mind-boggling for a club that professes to take that tournament very, very seriously. Yeah. I'm not so sure that they do. Third Degree of the Podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. They got everything you want over there. FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, U.S. Men's National Team. They've been great supporters of us. If you like us, support them, support us. Check out all the stuff they got over there. Soccer90.com. Use code Third Degree at checkout. 20% off your order. 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E. 20% off. Some exclusions apply. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Again, Dan, it is great to hear your voice, Buzz. Thank you, too, sir. Of course, always. Thank you for hosting. Yes, and uh, happy, if you're listening to this on Friday, Tears of the Kingdom release day for all of you that are into uh, Zelda. And we will speak to you again next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Come on, you rip-roaring playoff winning at us. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast.